0: Well,
1: hello, Jesse. Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show.
0: Hi, Bobby. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, I'm honored to have you. To uh, let my audience know, I, I I found you completely on accident, but I'm enthralled by your mission. And I'm hoping you can educate us a little bit more about what you're doing. So maybe start by telling us a little about yourself.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, well, I mean... I basically am, I'm an author and I'm also started a company called Entrepreneurs in Recovery. So, um, you know, just to talk about the first book was the first book was written in 2018 and. The reason I write books, because I have another book coming out in three weeks, uh, the reason I wrote the first book was because I was someone who struggled with panic disorder. And if you've never had panic disorder, it's it's, it's a pretty serious thing. And it's, especially if you've recovered from opioid addiction and alcoholism, and now you have to deal with that, it's, it's very, very difficult. So um, it's very scary, actually. And so, you know, I, I was always looking for ways to try to help my anxiety and my panics, panic attacks. And I found different ways to not only not have them, but to completely eliminate them. And it took time. It took a long time of trying different methods. But some of the biggest ones that helped me was quitting caffeine and cold therapy or taking cold showers. So that first book is called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers because Cold showers is free. Anyone can do it. And for me, I've been taking them now for five years and it's had a profound effect, not only on my immunity for not getting sick, but also my panic attacks. So, so, um, I, I've literally not had one since I've started taking them. So, you know, there's definitely a correlation between, you know, nutrition and journaling and all these other things that I do, but the cold showers really took it over the top. So, you know, so I wrote a book and I started Entrepreneurs in Recovery and, uh, I'll leave it there wherever you want to go with that type of stuff. And I have a new book coming out in three weeks. So.
1: (laughs) Well, we definitely want to hear about the new book. And so this cold, cold shower, the only time I've ever heard that as, as a concept and not in the relation that what you just described, but it was from Tony Robbins and it had to do with like stamina, I guess, or, or something. So what does it do to your body? Do you mind sharing like how that actually helps?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what I found is, I mean, first of all, if you're like, well, let's look at the science of cold water, right? Well, you're not gonna find a lot of science. I mean, you'll find there's definitely peer reviewed articles about it. And there's there's one about how it reduces colds and sickness. That's a, that's a great study that was done. Um, there's a study on it, how it raises norepinephrine. So cold showers can actually uh, release feel good hormones and as someone who is in recovery from addiction, you know, anything that makes me feel good, I, I tend to gravitate towards. So, so cold showers have a, a really healthy occurrence with chemical um, reactions in the brain and so, and in the body. So, there's, there is like, there's some science behind it, but a lot of it is anecdotal. It's, it's just, you just have to do it because the other biggest piece is resilience. And I think more than anything, a lot of us, tend to look and say, oh, you know, I could do that, I could do this, and I could do that. But we never get out of our comfort zone to actually go and do it. And, and I can tell you one of the biggest catalysts for taking a cold shower is getting out of my comfort zone. It's the resilience that I feel when I start my day with a cold shower and then all of a sudden I hit these obstacles and adversities and they're not as difficult or as challenging as some, just taking that cold shower in the morning, get over the mind. Cause it's really the, it's you versus ego, really. And so that battle between me versus the ego or me versus past trauma, which can also be another one, you know, taking that cold shower, which is part of that way to overcome the mental chatterbox that was always saying you're an imposter and who are you to teach people about recovery or start your own business. And, and so cold showers is part of one of those resilience rituals. So it's, it's, it's a mindset thing. It's a physical, um, it's good for your physiology. It's good. for So like, there's a book, I wrote it. I have all the, 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 the quote, uh, all the, um, end notes and all the research in the book, but the reality is it's like, it's mindset, it's resilience. It's you, you, you'll have nicer skin. Um, and, but you'll definitely feel a boost in your mood and confidence that probably wasn't there before. Um, because when we get outside of our comfort zone and we turn the dial up a little bit, you know, we're able to step into places that we knew we could go, but we just didn't have that self-motivation. And so when we start to just do these little things that scare us every single day, we grow, we start to raise our baseline and that baseline starts off of a comfort zone. And then we keep raising the baseline and guess what? We have a new baseline and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're speaking on Zoom. And next thing you know, we're writing a blog or we're writing a book or we're starting that recovery coaching business. So so it's it's these little mini habits that that can stack up over time that can really help. So I hope that answered that a little bit.
1: Oh, yes. I'm intrigued. I'm fearful, to be completely honest, because I want to go try it, but I hate the cold. Um, so hopefully I'll get over that yeah. hurdle.
0: Well, let me let me help you. So here's what I tell people you know, because people think it's silly. They literally brush it off and they move on with their life. Well, here's what you can do. Take your normal shower. And at the end of the shower, start with turning the dial code for 10 seconds and don't turn it all the way cold. Just turn it cold or cooler and start there and let that water hit you and do it for 10 seconds. And then next time do it for 15 and then 20 and then 30 and do a 30 day challenge. Do it for 30 days. There is a lot of science behind habits. So some say 21 days, some say 30, some say six months. I like to say six months and I know that's extreme. So start with 30 days and then see how you feel. Journal your results and just write down, here's how I felt before here's how I felt after. And here's how many seconds I did the cold water for So start there and treat it just like you would anything else. Oh, I have profit and loss for my business. I track that. Oh, I have my, I have my workouts. I track that we'll track this. And, um, so that's where I recommend starting 15, 10 seconds, something like that. Thank
1: you. I like that. Cause you, you just took away some of the apprehension. Like I feel like anybody could do anything for 10 seconds. Yes.
0: Exactly. Awesome.
1: So tell us about, so the, the, you said you've been taking cold showers for five years and you've had your business for three. So I'm guessing you think there's a correlation. And then I'd love for you to tell us more about your business.
0: Yeah, there's definitely correlations to, to the to, to things that I've done in my life that have led to whether it's getting promoted at work and moving into new positions or getting out, you know, and doing traveling to different places and doing new things. And, and, you know, like, like, so cold showers is one of those habits that was like, I stacked other habits. So like I would do the cold showers and then I would do like affirmations. And before the cold showers, I do meditation. And then I would take this. You can actually do meditation during a cold shower, believe it or not, because initially you want to change your breathing. Breathing is life. So if you stop breathing, then there's no more life. So when you when you're in the shower and you start practicing really deep breathing, so you go breathe in for five through the heart, breathe out and hold it for five and then breathe out for five or five to seven seconds. And you practice that breathing in the shower and you bring it out and practice it in life. So there's habits that you do with the cold showers that you stack around the cold showers. You might do a little bit of exercise before you jump in the cold shower to get your blood, blood flowing. So, um, so yeah, so there's definitely a correlation and, um, you know, like I said, I gained a lot of confidence when I was over, When I was overcoming that anxiety that has been with me my whole life, you gained some confidence there. So I I gained some confidence to make some moves at work to get promoted. And, and as I got promoted, it it got me to a place where I, I, I hired a life coach. And then eventually I got around some mentors and these mentors were entrepreneurs and there was a strong seed planted in me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Cause if I fail, I'll just go back to a job. Like, so I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, and I went for it and it's been three years and, um, it's going pretty well.
1: Congratulations. It is, I know I found it very scary to leave my day job because of the comfort. Like there's some sense of security, but what you just said is so, so powerful and so true. What's the worst that can happen? We have to go back to our day jobs. So it's worth trying to live our best lives and fight the fight. So I really appreciate that. So what exactly do you do in your business? Do you mind sharing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Entrepreneur's Recovery started out as this idea, you know, because I, just to back up a little bit, I wasn't just like leaving any job. I was leaving a job that I spent 14 years of my recovery. Um, 13, no, well, actually I got into the job before I found recovery, but then I spent 14 years working hard at this job to get a dream job, and I got that dream job, quote unquote, and I still had that hole in the soul. I still had that like, oh my God, I'm still not having a six figure job. And I'm like, I'm still not, I'm still, this is not what I want to be doing. So I ended up setting a date that I would leave the job by. I set a goal. I said, I visualized the goal and I wrote it down and I said, this is the date I'm going to leave by. And so in August of 20, August 29, August 25th, 2017, I left my job at Verizon and I went for it and and so what I was when I say I went for it, like it was gonna be coaching, it was gonna be like writing books. So it's gonna be really like being a coach, getting paid to be a coach and a speaker, write books. And so I I kind of was like almost prematurely leaving the job, right? Because I didn't even have that all established, but I was so confident and I was so ready. I'm just like, I'm going for it. And plus, we're dealing with an epidemic of epic proportions. I mean, people were overdosing and dying in my life and I was just sick of seeing all of the mental health, all of the deaths, all of the, it's just like, I can't, I got to do something about this. Cause my backstory, I mentioned a little bit about it was going to prison and these different, I mean, I didn't go to prison, but, but potentially going to prison and, and having this story. It's like, I have to share this story. And so. Um, entrepreneurs recovery turned into this, me becoming a facilitator because what happened is I took a facilitation training called Exchange, And when I took that training three years ago, it literally on the second day of the training, it was very clear where I was going to use this work. And I was going to bring it directly into sober living homes or sober living, living residences. I was going to bring it right into treatment centers right away because I learned a way almost like a. PhD in facilitation. So I had the insight and the knowledge I wanted to teach, but I didn't know how to deliver it to a group of people. One-on-one, I'm really good at, but how do I deliver it to 12 people, 40 people, 400 people? And that's what I learned, the art of facilitation and creating psychological safety so that people actually feel safe. They feel safe to take risks. They feel safe to be vulnerable. And I learned how to do that. So I immediately brought it to the sober living homes up in New Hampshire. I had a few friends that owned a couple. So I would bring them to these sober living homes and it was working. The, uh, these men, I would see them three to six months later, they're still in recovery. I'm like, okay, good. It wasn't because of me. I was just facilitating conversations worth having that were, you know, personal development, self-care, spirituality. I was bringing it into these workshops and I started getting paid for it. So I'm like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. And I started getting paid for facilitation. And it took a long time. It honestly took like two years before I landed a really big opportunity to work with the state of Georgia, the Georgia council on substance abuse and work with 34 organizations and over, you know, 500, 600 peer recovery coaches in Georgia. And that's, that was in 2020. So that was a big blessing. It started in 2019. And then 2020 I worked with them and, and uh, you know, the Georgia council of substance abuse is doing incredible work. So they hired me as a facilitator and I facilitated with all the peer recovery coaches and leaders and, So that brings me up to today. So today I'm a holistic recovery coach and I'm also um, a facilitator. And the facilitation is where I can have the biggest impact. And so with the book coming out, it's going to get the story, the memoir, the backstory, because in recovery, we love stories. we got to hear the story. So (laughs) i got the story in there. Then I have the formula or the fears recovery toolkit, I call it, that helped me with the trauma, that helped me with the anxiety, that helped me with recovery. And I include everything, everything in that journey. And so uh, I just celebrated 15 years of recovery in December. And so I share that journey in the book from drug and alcohol addiction and other addictions. When you get into recovery, you're not going to just be, oh, my life is perfect. You're going to have other, uh, you're going to have other addictions that are going to pop up, behavioral addictions. So, um, (laughs) so that's kind of the story. Um, And so today I'm a facilitator. And I'm also um, a holistic recovery coach and an author because my, my this book is like, we all have this book in us. And this is, this is that book that's been living in me for a long time. And, and I'm excited to, to bring it to the world.
1: Well, congratulations on 15 years and for sharing that story with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank I you. have to, I have to ask you um, selfishly something, if that's okay. Yeah, I have a niece that struggled with anxiety and- well, struggles and she tries to push herself through. I mean, she's a young kid, so do the kind of strategies like the cold shower and the, and the stuff like this. And she's surrounded by addiction, bunch of bunch of wonderful addicts around her. Um, would these practices you think apply to someone who isn't experienced addiction themselves?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, at this point, I've been very, very blessed. I've been able to have thousands of conversations with people. Um, in recovery. Some are not in recovery, you know, all different types of addictions, mental health conditions. And I can tell you that I've had people reach out. uh, I had someone reach out to me recently because I am, I am open about my recovery. I don't hide it. I mean, you can go to my social media. I don't have a big YouTube channel or any of that. But I am starting to put more content out there. You'll hear me. I'll talk about my story, my arrest. I'm, I'm very open about anything. And so I, I bring it to the table. So I have people reach out to me. I don't know from different parts of the country. And this one gentleman who was addicted to crystal meth, living in Louisiana, and that there was a storm that came in 2020, a powerful storm. It knocked out the power, knocked out the cell phone towers. It was, it was a disaster. And he somehow messaged me on Facebook. And I look at all my messages. So I looked at the message and I was like, He was basically just reaching out for help. And he said, what can I do? I can't go to meetings. There's nothing here for me. Like, and he wasn't kidding. Like the storm knocked out like the normal, you know, going to zoom meetings and all that stuff. Like, so I said, here, do this. I want you to tomorrow morning. Cause he, he had tried meditation before. I said, I want you to get up tomorrow morning. I want you to do five minutes, five minutes of meditation. And when I say meditation, don't make this woo woo just go ahead and breathe for 5 minutes deeply into your heart breathe in for 5 into the heart hold it for 5 and then breathe out for 5 right into the heart and you can close your eyes you can put your hands on your heart if you want and just keep doing these heart centered breaths for 5 minutes then what i want you to do is just write down in a journal i want to write i want you to write down your intentions for the day my intention is to be strong my intention is to be resilient my intention is to be whole my intention is to stay sober whatever write it down. And then I want you to write what you appreciate about yourself and about others. I want you to write that down in journal. And then I want you to take a cold shower. And I don't want you to take a straight cold shower. I just want you to take your normal shower. And then I want you to turn it at the end. I want you to turn it cold. And that's all I want you to do for me. Just do those simple habits and then check in with me. Well, I heard back from a couple of weeks later and he's like, Hey, thank you so much. I've been meditating. I got back into trans- transcendental meditation. I've been sober. I'm still taking the cold showers and he's still sober today and i couldn't give him anything but my own you can't give away something you don't have so i could just give to him my experience but i couldn't just tell him go to an aa meeting that wasn't no that wasn't that wasn't available so so i gave him so yes what the stuff that i teach in the book this 30 actions and it's for everyone cuz i believe every person's in recovery we're all recovering from something just some of us on the addiction spectrum it's life and death. That's where it was for me and many of my friends. It's life and death. It isn't like, oh, I, I can't just, you know, I don't want to undervalue anyone's addiction, but there's people who are literally life and death. And I know you know this. So, 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 so these practices are for both spectrums because you need to have a foundation, a recovery plan of some sort. Like, and number one is just to focus on that plan, right? Like we need to focus on a recovery. And so absolutely, it's a long way of answering and saying, yes, I mean, these suggestions that I have, they're for, for anyone to practice because a lot of this stuff is like, I didn't invent this stuff. There's many, many amazing individuals who have came before me and I'm just standing on the shoulders of them, practicing it and, and delivering it in another package.
1: It's awesome that you're sharing the message. And I think it comes with a lot of credibility especially because of your amount of clean time and living it versus someone who may not, well, have defined the journey using, using the logic of what you said that everybody's in recovery. And I, I kind of believe that. And I, when I talk on my gambling show, I've kind of made it more centered around self-care for that very reason, because there's so many lessons that we learn that can translate into any relationship or any job or any life hurdle, I guess. You said facilitator. I want to understand. I know what facilitator means in the terms of like a meeting, but can you dig into what that looks like with the, with the peer recovery coaches that you're working with? Like, is it, is it different than a trainer?
0: Yeah. 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 So yeah. Great question. So, so, um, so when I say facilitator, what I mean is, a lot of times we have what is called the sage on the stage. You have that, that keynote speaker or that person that's going to lead the charge for the group. And that's not what I do. Can I do that? Sure, but I don't. A facilitator is the guide on the side. I'm the person that facilitates activities and choreographies that create rapid psychological safety. Meaning if I walked into a group, Let's say it's a sober living home or let's say it's a business. I would walk into there and I would say, hi, hi everyone. My name is Jesse. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm going to be with you today and I'm going to take you through this next 90 minutes. We're going to have a really engaging, interactive experience, but we're going to start first with a question. And the question is this, why is it important for you to be here tonight? Why did you show up? What is it about being here that gives you a deep sense of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? Go ahead and grab your pen. And journal that down. And so I'd start with them and I would do this immediately. So I would be facilitating questions that are relevant questions that are life giving. And then I would have the group journal. Then I would have them get into small groups or pairs and let them engage with each other. And then I would bring them back to the large group and hear some of the shares. And I would do this right in the beginning of any event or workshop or meeting. And then from there, we would get into some things I might be able to, you know, share insight or teach, but then we, we would go back to asking them one of those high point questions or resilience questions. Uh, one question I love to use in addiction recovery, mental health recovery is, when is there a time in your life when you've overcome some type of obstacle, some type of hardship or challenge? How did you bounce back from it? Go ahead and share that story. And then they journal the story. And that's a powerful story. I mean, that's a powerful question because every single person in mental health and addiction recovery has gone through adversities. Maybe every human ever, but certainly in addiction recovery, mental health recovery. So you have them journal that, and then you can do an activity where you get them into small groups and maybe four or five, and you can actually have them create something. You can actually have them crowdsource and work together. So just imagine me going into a, a treatment center, or a sober home, sober living home, and I got 13 individuals. I'm not going to go there and be like, hey, listen, I'm an author and let me tell you about all this great stuff I've done. Not at all. I facilitate life-giving questions that they're able to interact with each other so they get that community capital. They get to talk to each other. Then we get to hear it as a group. And then we might do activities to actually go deeper into the subject matter That's highly experiential. It's not me just telling them all this great stuff. So hopefully that uh, helps you with the facilitation versus maybe speaker or guide.
1: It, It definitely does. And I had a couple flashes while you were speaking. One is in the online learning environments that I've gone in, the breakout rooms is my favorite part. When I get to talk to my peers and, and chew on whatever the topic is. So that makes complete sense to me. And I loved the foundation that you lay in the beginning, the way you just explained it showing gratitude and, and announcing and, and your humility as you go through it. And then I was thinking about Zumba conferences that I've been to, and they do the same thing. They break us down and we dance in groups. And I'm not a confident dancer, I don't have the rhythm, but I go and I try to learn and I show up so I can see from, uh, from the perspective of it. So uncomfortable to talk about this stuff, especially newer in recovery, right? Not that it's a judgment thing, but it's really uncomfortable to talk about the dirty laundry.
0: Yeah. And the, and the key to that is it's how you actually show up yourself. So everything matters. So when you show up to a group, how is your energy? how's your, how are you doing? You know? So, so when you run a group, people pick up your energy. I, I especially pick up energy. I'm an empath. So I, I, I go into any group my whole life since I was a kid and I pick up the energy immediately. So, but anyone, even if, whether or not you're a highly sensitive person, you, you pick up the facilitator's energy. So the first thing you have to start with is you, your mindset, You're getting into the right state, getting into your heart before you come and ever walk in front of a group of people, get yourself right. Maybe do a meditation, do whatever you have to do to get you in that state, then show up for that group. Because when I'm in front of a group, especially at addiction recovery, it's life and death. There's some of those people that I will never see again. I can tell you, I've facilitated a lot of workshops and a lot of those people are no longer here. So I, I, I can tell you that it might be the last conversation I ever have with them. So I make sure it counts, but the way I actually navigate that. It's not this super high energy. It's a, sa- it's a centered, grounded energy that I bring as a facilitator. And then I ask life-giving questions. And when you break people into pairs, you're creating psychological safety, even for that introvert, even for that quieter voice. Every voice gets heard. And then we bring them back. So it's the way you choreograph the conversations, the activities, which make it safe for someone to share that they normally wouldn't share. And I actually put that in my book because someone actually came through. I went to a 28-day treatment center. It's now a 90-day, which is great. But I went into a treatment center and it's all obviously highly confidential, HIPAA laws. Like you, you don't get to share out of there, but I can share this story because you'll, you'll hear why. I, I went in, I was, I was a you know, they paid me to come in and run my facilitation, my recovery facilitation. And I did it for over a year. Well, this gentleman was in my group's, he was he ended up being in two of my groups and his stay there. And I saw him 90 days later at a sober living residence. And I was like, oh my God, you were, I was actually facilitating. You were at, and he goes, yeah, I remember your workshops. I still practice some of the things you taught as an entrepreneur in recovery. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. We did the third, I did a third workshop with him in a sober living home. Today, he's two years in recovery. He's going to school to become an expressive therapist So I share that because it matters, like what we do for our own lives and our own selves as people in recovery matters because then we get to show up for others. And me, I'm really blessed to have the facilitation training to be able to create these conversations worth having. Now, you you don't get to every single time have everyone have the most amazing experience. No, that's not what it's about. It's just you just show up as your best self. You choreograph that the best you can. And then you'll have these people sharing things they've never shared. And that's the one thing he said. He's like, I was in that treatment center. Um, He stayed in there for a little bit longer than the normal stay. And he said, I've never shared the way I shared in your groups because I felt safe to share. And so that's the key as a recovery facilitator is building that safety, 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 safety. So
1: You, you mentioned that some of the folks you may never see again, and I imagine that's pretty stressful and, and hurts the heart and hurts the mind, especially if you're an empath. How do you manage that?
0: I mean, I am someone who self-care is a necessity. It's not a luxury. It's not something, Oh, I guess I'll practice this today. I had to do self-care when I first found recovery at 22 there. I, I was facing a seven year prison sentence. I was facing living with my mom um, and the stress of the, just this impending case, the panic disorder, the car being repossessed, the debt, all of this rip, all of the tornado that I roared through everyone's lives in addiction, now being in early recovery, it happened to really take self-care serious. Self-care is sacred. So I treated it that way, and I still do that today without exception. So if there's any message I can give to anyone, it's, self-care is honoring <laughs> your creator. It is honoring yourself. It is it is what is going to help you when those adversities come, when you lose a friend to addiction, when you lose a family member, when, when these things are guaranteed to happen. You know, in 15 years, I've lost people who have helped me in so many ways to addiction. And, What keeps me going is that those people would have wanted me to keep going. They told me this when they were alive. So I'm just honoring each of those lives by living my purpose. So that's what keeps me going is the self-care, sharing it with close people that are very close and I feel safe to share with, and then living with purpose and knowing that they would want me to continue this mission. And so that's what keeps me going
1: love that. I I have to I guess I'm supposed to have a nice flow to this interviewing stuff but my questions just show up how they show up. So bear with me. You talked about being open about your recovery and this is a sticking point that I feel pretty passionately about but can you share how you feel about the transparency and what value it brings. I'm guessing you must think there's value to being open about it since you are open about it.
0: Yeah. um, We, we are in a state right now in our world that we have never seen before. And, you know, I wasn't always open about my recovery. So I, I totally understand why people would not be because the world doesn't, doesn't reward you for that. In fact, You get threatened sometimes by sharing your recovery, which is complete insanity. So I, you know, the big thing is people don't know that they can ask for help. And so if I'm someone who's sharing my story authentically with the world, I'm able to help that person that is suicidal, that is struggling with addiction. How else would they receive that message? Is it on the news? No. Nope. Is it in the newspaper? No. Is it on social media? Not if you don't follow people in recovery. So where do they get information that this is even possible, that hope is possible, that recovery is possible? We are the living versions of the people that have come before us to show that recovery is possible. So in so everyone's version of recovery is different. So by sharing your story and realizing how valuable your story is to people, I had to learn this. I learned this from a coach. He said to me, you not sharing your story is causing more suffering in the world. And he was exactly right because me keeping the story to myself, there could be someone right now who listens to this podcast, one person, and they hear something and something shifts They have a paradigm shift just by this conversation. So that to me is what we can do as people in recovery is we can help people share the message, whether it's at your work or not, because you're going to have managers, you're going to have parents reach out to you and they're going to say, my kids die. This is going on. I don't know what to do. And you can just say, Hey, I'll just share my experience. And that can make all the world of a difference. So being transparent to me in 2021, we needed to throw out old paradigms. Old paradigms need to go away. We need to now, and I'm not saying here <laughs> to just be at a meeting and be, hey, and I'm this and go outside <laughs> and out rooftops. That's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is keep that in the meetings and keep your story to the world. That Your story's not copyrighted to meetings, your stories, your story. So share that story, share with your friends, write a blog, put it out there. I can tell you, I've only written like two or three blogs ever. And those blogs have reached a few people and it impacted them in major ways. And all I did was take like 30 minutes to write. And I know people who write way better than me. My friends are incredible writers, but they don't have a blog and they don't have books. I'm that person that's showing what's possible. And that's what you're doing with the show. It's we're just we're helping people to hear a message of recovery that's going to resonate for them. I won't resonate with everyone, but you might talk to someone I can't. So that's the whole transparency thing. It needs to it needs to go away.
1: Yeah, there's something so beautiful when someone reaches out that feeling, like even just saying it gets me like. Knowing those one people that actually have an opportunity to change or look at things different or whatever, um, there there is something beautiful about that, and it, I know it warms my heart. So I know it must warm yours as well. Um, not that that's what the driving force is, but you you definitely you're a very eloquent speaker, Jesse. I have to tell you that, by the way. You you share your message very well. Thank you for that.
0: Well, I, I have had a lot of practice. So thank you. Thank you. I've had, you know, I've been in recovery a long time. And one of the things you do is you share your story. And, you know, I've said it so many times. And now I just, I just had a writing a book about your story makes you really think about what you're about to write on that paper, you know, because you want to make sure you're, you're sharing your message authentically, and you're sharing it in a way that's going to be helpful. And so yeah, so I'm a little more clear than ever on my story just cuz I just wrote, you know, a book in 2020 and that's coming out soon. That's awesome.
1: So do you see your focus is on entrepreneurs. Do you see So you're coming from corporate America as well and now you're in this entrepreneurial space and I want to talk about coaching too. I got to remember to ask you about that. But do you see entrepreneurs Falling into addiction because of the stress of being an entrepreneur, say, or like, what does the landscape of that look like? Are there problems different? I guess because we're on a show that's addressing both audiences. But what have you learned maybe that's special about entrepreneurs or... I don't know. What are your thoughts about entrepreneur-specific?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually the reason I called my business entrepreneurs in recovery is because I wasn't an entrepreneur, but I was so fascinated by entrepreneurs. No one in my family's an entrepreneur. So I'm like, I was so fascinated. And so I started to reach out to entrepreneurs in recovery. If you want to be a recovery coach, reach out to recovery coaches. If you want to be a major league baseball player, learn from major, you know what I mean? So, so I was like, let me learn from entrepreneurs in recovery. And I started to reach out and I started to have conversations. And so, what i find with people in recovery is that they're very they can be very rebellious they can be very entrepreneurial they can be very like i'm going to do this myself and so that's a trait that's actually very valuable when it comes to entrepreneurship now you want to have collaboration and build relationships but at the end of the day it's on you so if you want to stay in recovery, you have to take 100% responsibility for your life in recovery. Well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to take 100% responsibility for your business and the people you serve. So there's a big correlation of traits of the entrepreneur in recovery. And that means that people who are not entrepreneurs, but they're in recovery, in many ways, they're very entrepreneurial. So I've seen this correlation time and time again when I meet people. And they start telling me what they want to do or what their purpose is. I'm like, dude, that you have to start a business that does that. And they are like, no, I don't want to do it. But it's like, well, but so I find this a lot. That is this is rebellious attitude of like, yeah, I work for this person. But, you know, it's like, I'm grateful, but I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, yes. So, so do it on the side, you know, be an entrepreneur and do it on the side. So there's, there's these entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then talking about the addictions of entrepreneurs and recovery or entrepreneurs. Yeah. Work is them food addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction. Um, you know, my friend, Michael Dash, he wrote a book about um, gambling addiction called chasing the high. It's a great book. And, and so, um, you know, he's an entrepreneur in recovery. And, and so like we fall into all these addictions because we're just like going, going, burning at that. We're, you know, we're just, we're just, we're just hearing through things, trying to, trying to to gain that success. We we renege our self-care and then we start to get into these, these habits that turn into addictions. And so there's definitely, um, you know, and I definitely don't just work with entrepreneurs. I work with tons of leaders in the nonprofit space that are entrepreneurial and, but they're looking for how do I facilitate with my people? How do I actually bring facilitation to them? So I work with them and You know, entrepreneurs of recovery one day will probably be, um, have a lot of entrepreneurs and recovery in it. Um, in fact, my closest friends are all entrepreneurs of recovery, which they, none of us were five years ago. So it just became this idea that grew into something real. And one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan says, you know, as an entrepreneur, make it up, make it real and make it reoccur. So that's all I've done It's I just made it up. I made it real and now I'm living it and it's working. And it took a lot of, you know, there's a lot, a lot of obstacles, but at the same time, I really believe just from my experience that people in recovery, and I'm talking mental health, recovery and addiction, they're entrepreneurial in many ways. When they start to like go at it, they're like, yeah, I want to create that journal, create that jewelry, create that art. I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, that's, that's, and they want to get paid for it, you know? So I'm like, good for you. And um, so I just, that's what I found in my journey.
1: You gave me so much hope. Cause I actually, I was in a meeting last week and it it stuck with me. I'm I'm trying to let it go, but I had the first person that knew about my objectives and my long-term, my dream, I call it. And they're like, you're doing too many things. and And it's like, it's not possible. It was the first person to shit on my dream. And a lot of people know about it because they I'm sure some of them think I'm a little crazy because it's really bigger than most people can imagine, which is exactly what you said you did. You you knew what the finish line was. The how doesn't matter as much. You, You figured out and the universe delivered what you needed to continue to grow. And I'm really it's funny because 100 people might be supportive of me, but that one person, it's it's still irking me. And, um,
0: well, that's the universe testing you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it just, it's sitting with me. So you just made me feel really better about that. So maybe you're the universe delivering me you to fix me a little on that one.
0: (laughs) I've had plenty of people since the before day one say, That's not sustainable. You won't have insurance. What are you thinking? You've been with Verizon forever. Why are you doing this? I didn't have people saying, You got this. Go for it. Live your dreams. No. So I found a few people who literally did believe in my dreams and I only shared it with them. And that's very, very key. I only shared my vision and dreams with them and no one else, not family, not friends, only certain friends and certain people. And that's it. And it was very private. And when I made the move, people were like, whoa, even Verizon was like, whoa. So, you know, and I could have failed, you know, I could have, and I did fail in some ways, but I'm resilient and I'm a recovery warrior. And I've been through so much that whatever this entrepreneurial journey is going to throw at me, no problem. And that's how we have to treat this, that we can use our adversities as strengths so that when we start to get how am i going to pay my bills how am i going to feed my family how is that going to happen you trust you trust you make a plan you 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 act on that plan and if it doesn't work you ask for help you pivot you reach out to a coach you get a mentor and so that that's so that's what happens and when people come in your life i've had it my whole life because like i said i'm i'm, an, I'm a highly sensitive person so I confused that as a child as being shy. So people would constantly say, you're so shy, you're so shy. And I had a million things to say. It was because I was always observing as the empath. I was always taking in and observing and absorbing. And sometimes to a fault, because I didn't know that I even had that, I didn't know I had that ability. But once I learned what it really was, that it was a superpower, I started to use it from my, as a strength. And and that's how I was able to really help people work with people through therapy, work with people with coaching, all these different ways, but people are always going to be put in your path. I got a, I have a book, okay. Called smash your comfort zone with cold showers. It's been on Amazon for two years and I got my first one-star review recently. And if you're listening and you know that one-star review, thank you so much because those are gifts because Instead of reading and going, well, they didn't even read my book. Who is them, Which was my first ego response. But after I was like, you know what? This is a, the greatest gift, this review, because it shows me what's still unhealed in me. So these things, these obstacles, these people that we go, oh, I can't stay. They hurt. You know, it's like they're there for a reason because it's testing your resilience. It's testing the stuff that you have. And I have a mentor who says, what is in the way is the way. What is in the way is the way. And I love that because a lot of times that's what it is. And we have to sometimes go there. And, you know, 2020 was a really good year for healing some of this deeper shadow trauma stuff for people. And I went there as well. And going there is where I really, and financially, it was this tough year for me. For some people I had the best year of life. I actually had a really good year overall, but but I, I spent so much time doing self-care that actually impacted me financially in the beginning. But now that I practiced that self-care for three, four months, very, very, very like long stints of self-care daily, I was able to then now reap those rewards of the self-care today as I'm venturing out about to release a book and the work that that is behind that that self-care paid dividends for today and i'm still doing self-care but what i'm saying is like those you can call them haters if you want but a lot of it's they're really gifts they're really a reflection of our of ourselves and you know so don't let it don't let it knock you just say oh my god thank you so much for that and then move on and realize the gift that it served you because if it's still there it's a resentment it's an unhealed wound and once we realize that that's actually oh my God, actually, that's a gift. That's a mirror of something inside of me of not feeling worthy of greatness and success.
1: That was very good. Thank you. You're 100% right. I should look at it that way. And I also should know better, which is another, I guess, gift of my own learning and development. Because if it was... If the shoe was on the other foot, I probably could coach you on that. But when it comes to coaching myself, sometimes it's not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that brings me to the next point of you keep mentioning coaches and mentors. And I am a big fan of that. And you said that when you were in Verizon it was the first time you hired a life coach. So what did that look like? Like what inspired you to do that? And and what is what does that journey look like, if you don't mind sharing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what that was, so it was 2015 and I had just, um, I had just thought about getting into a manager position at Verizon assistant manager. And I never wanted to do that. I couldn't stand that position, but we, we you know, things change. And I had this idea of like, you know what I, and, and, and I literally, for me, it's all about intuition. Like I trust my intuition. Mm-hmm. And so my intuition was basically like, I mean, out of nowhere. That's how intuition works. It's an instant answer, instant information. And it was like, hey, you remember that guy you followed way back then who was the health coach? He had a he had a coach. And I'm like, why did I just get that message? Like, okay. And then I'm like, oh well, what are life coaches? Let me just look that up. And I Google searched life coaching, and the top result. I clicked on the link and i literally just scheduled a consultation to talk to someone next thing you know, i'm on the phone and the guys like yeah we're going to have three coaches reach out to you and you know you get to see which one fits best with best with you and and if it works out it works out i'm like okay and then i talked to these three coaches and one of them was christy and she was freaking amazing to talk to and i'm like i'm going to go for it like i can afford this i got a job i'm going to hire this life coach and it didn't make any sense. I, I was at a job. I was trying to get into assistant manager position and I started working with Christy. And what I do with Christy is I started setting goals. Like I was always setting goals, but bigger goals, like, like bigger goals. And so she would hold me accountable to my goals. I didn't have to share with a sponsor, a mentor. I just, I shared it with the coach and the coach would check in with me. Okay. How'd it go? What happened? What'd you learn? And so I started hitting all these goals. So I'd be like, I'm going to set this financial goal. I'd hit the goal. I'm going to set this sale. I hit the goal. I'm going to do this. I hit the goal. And then I hit, and when I started hitting bigger goals, I mean, rocking my foundation goals, like winning the biggest, the highest award at Verizon, it's called president's cabinet. When I won that award, I was like, this is real. Like, I didn't even know that this is like, is this even real? Like, I'm literally just being intentional, setting goals, you know, practicing my spirituality, do what I do, but I'm really intentional about my goals. I focus them on every day and they're happening. So I just kept doing that. And then two years later I left my job because I just said to Chrissy, I'm like, Chrissy, what if I left my job? What would that mean? What would happen? And she didn't go, Jesse, you just landed your dream job. You just made, you're making now six figures. Why would you, she didn't say that. She goes, yeah, let's talk about what that would look like because that's what a coach does. And so I ended up saying this extreme goal. I'm like, Hey, it's March by August. I'm leaving everything and I'm becoming an entrepreneur in recovery. And she was like, cool, let's ro- let's map that up. <laughs> and I did it. So, li- so coaches come in all shapes and forms. If you're in early recovery, which I wasn't at that point, I was 13, 12 years into recovery. So if you're in early recovery and you're thinking about a coach, that's a great idea because you could hire a recovery coach and they can help you with recovery, but they could also help you with goals. So look for a recovery coach in early recovery. But if you're a little farther along the way, you might just look for a life coach. And they might even have experience with recovery. This person didn't, but she was just an incredible coach. And so, you know, look at recovery coaching. And then eventually you might just hire another coach for a specific need. Maybe you're like, okay, I got some time under my belt with recovery. And now I want to start this clothing line. And I want to hire someone as a coach who's going to help me to build the clothing line. So you hire coaches specifically for what you're needing. And if in the early days of recovery, look at recovery coaches, because that's just an amazing, really expanding um, um, segment that's really getting big. And it's, it's really amazing. And I'm part of a coach training company called the international association of professional recovery coaches. And so if someone wants to learn more about that and they want to hire a coach or, you know, just reach out to me, I can put you in touch with a coach there or whatever. So that's, that's the awesome. thing.
1: I, I want to call out, well, two things that you said for, for the folks that may not be addiction related listening, but are in the coaching space. Cause coaching is so so important. I think it's life-changing, which you kind of described too, right? Career and all of that. But I like what that company or that group of people, Christy's team, from a business strategy, it's brilliant to offer the clients three different people to choose from instead of it being this one-man band that kind of you know, it's their way. So I like that you get to shop for it in that model. So if there's people out there thinking about that, I just thought that that was great. And one of, one of the ways, you know how there's categories like faith-based entrepreneurs, for example. So it's a lot of people that are, you know, doing, it's a bucket. One of the things I love this because I never, I didn't know you existed until like a week ago, so I love that. I can. Uh, see you have this. social
0: media. You just re- you just found me, and then you just reach out, and I said yes. It's so cool.
1: I know it's beautiful. Nobody has to be a stranger ever. Um, but I was saying in in some of the classes that I was getting coached in, I want this category to be. A recovery, I want recovering entrepreneurs to be a category like and fall off the mouth the same way that faith-based entrepreneurs is a thing. I want recovery-based entrepreneurs and you're already doing it. So I think that that's just awesome. I do have, I do have a question about your actual journey. Did you start with 12 steps or like what did your recovery look like if you don't mind sharing like what were your some of your strategies like I understand the self-care and all that stuff that kind of comes a little later but in the beginning when we're white knuckling it and like just trying to not do the thing what did that look like for you
0: yeah so to just bring it back to being 22 again I was so I didn't just go lightly I I got arrested (laughs) so I got arrested with federal charges and so when that happened, the judge and the pretrial probation officer said that you have to go to meetings as part of the deal. So I was court ordered to go to meetings. So they handed me a paper and they said, you got to go to these meetings. And so that's what I did. But I had a therapist too, that was court, court ordered therapy. And so I went to this drug and alcohol therapist. I also ended up getting a mentor too. And when I say I got a mentor, I was going to, so they thought I would be suicidal in the early days. So my mom knew this pastor of a church, so I actually would go and meet with this pastor, who was a who became a mentor, and I would ask him life's questions. I grew up without a father, so I was able to. I had a hard time trusting men because my dad left at four and never came back. So when I had this man in my life, sharing and and being a mentor, I that was huge. So I had this therapist court-ordered therapist. I had this mentor. And I also had these meetings I had to go to. <laughs> it wasn't an option. So I'd have to get the paper signed, show the pre-child probation option. Well, what started to happen is I started getting active in those meetings, right? I started to make the coffee. I started to do everything I could. And I also, um, you know, was doing all these habits. And that's what's really key to this. Like I was doing self-care right away. Like I was in bad shape. <laughs> if you saw me 15 years ago, like most of us we first come in, I was in bad shape. So I was journaling every day. I was repeating affirmations because my anxiety and panic attacks was so severe. I didn't know how to stop them. So I thought maybe my words, powerful words would stop them. And so that was the prescription for my recovery was those things in the early days. And eventually when I found out I wasn't going to prison, Then I, you know, I I already, I got back into school too, because I flunked out of school. I went at 18 and that's when addiction really took over. Well, it was, it was a rough go at 18. And then I flunked out of school and I went back to school and I started to take courses and psychology and it took me nine years to get my degrees and but it's, it's, it's all good. It was all part of the journey. Um, but that's what it was like in the early days, those, those habits and practice, which I talk about in detail in my book. Cause I didn't want to just be like, here's the entrepreneur's recovery guide. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to help that person. Who's one week from shooting fentanyl. I'm, I'm here to help that person. Who's just getting over pornography addiction. Like I'm here to help people who are getting over panic disorder. This is a book that is giving you exactly what I did step by step. And that's what I wish I had. I wish someone had given me that book. You know, would I have read it in the beginning and it would have been really profound? I don't know. But eventually it would have been. Yes. At like nine months or a year. Yeah. A book like that would have really helped. So I just, I'm just filling a gap that I wish it was there for me um, with these things that I learned.
1: So you don't, you keep mentioning lots of addictions. So you're not tied to just drugs and alcohol per se. It sounds like you touch whatever, behavioral and substance abuse. Am I clear on that?
0: Yeah. And mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Great. That's awesome.
1: Is there anything I'm forgetting to ask you that you'd like to share?
0: No, I think you've asked incredible questions and I've been on a lot of different shows and podcasts and you you ask questions no one's ever asked before. So the way you're doing this podcast and the way you're asking questions, continue to do it like this because I said things I've never said in the way I said them because of the way you asked, especially about the entrepreneur questions and stuff and the way you frame those. So no, I think I think we're pretty complete actually.
1: <laughs> wow, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Whatever shows up is what falls out of my mouth. It's kind of how it happens. Like you said, that intuition. That yes. and, and you're a great guest that just like I said, I'm, I'm just so fascinated and honored that you, that you responded. Like you said, you answer your messages and you answered timely and were so easy. So I know that you're all in, you're not just a talker, you're in action and, and your, your story is so profound. And I, I can't wait to help you blow up your book. I'll, I'll be showing it from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. Um, and even and your friends too, when, when we go through and, and, do the editing and stuff. We'll make sure that we get your friend's gambling book down as well. I'd like to showcase that as a
0: resource. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Michael dash chasing the high. So that's just one more time for the recording.
1: Now I can write it down.
0: All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you so much.